Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. It's the Ringers Philly special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page, plus start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Philly is a tough city. Uh, you know, they're going to tell you why it is. And, you know, I love it. like Philadelphia because they care. Hello and welcome to the Ringers Philly special. It's the Sixers show. It's Raheem Palmer with Chris Ryan. Raheem's this guy. I'm that guy. What's going on, Raheem? How you doing? Uh, rough night last night. Um, I'm doing well, though. Um, we got the split, which is what we wanted. So um, there's really not a lot to complain about. At the end of the day, if you come out of Boston top 1-1, that's a positive. Despite what yeah. happened last night. So Raheem is referring to the Celtics winning 121 to 87 in a game that was over in the third quarter uh, and pretty much featured the Delaware Bluecoats in, in the fourth quarter. I mean, it was definitely <laughs> garbage time. We got a lot of Luke Cornett and Peyton Pritchard and Jane Springer made a cameo. Daniel House got on the floor. I was surprised. I don't know what's wrong with Blake Griffin, but he can't get out there for those minutes, I guess. Uh, this was definitely a ra- reality check, and we basically have a podcast of two parts today. We have game two. We have Joel Embiid finally winning MVP, and how those two things might be related, Raheem. So why don't we start with how those two things right, might be related? Obviously, probably the most hotly debated MVP award since the Kawhi Russ Harden year. Uh, definitely the... The, the MVP award that has drawn the most conversation in my time as like a professional basketball media member to some extent, one way or another, where people were talking about this as of like November. And then it goes on and on and on. And finally, Embiid wins the award, I think pretty handily. It was an incredible moment. We could talk about that in a little bit. And 
always with a flair for the dramatic Joel Embiid upon learning he's winning winning the MVP award and he gets this Rolex from James Harden and it's so awesome. He's like, I'm back. I'm coming back. He then says after the game, he kind of confirms with some of the reporting we had heard about this knee injury that he picked up in the Brooklyn series, which is that it is a four to six week injury. And he is back after 10 days. Did he look hurt to you last night? You know, at first I thought he, he wasn't moving well. But then, you know, as the game kind of went on, I noticed that the biggest thing is that he, he still could clean up things at the rim. He could still stick with people um, on the perimeter and, you know, chase guys around to the point where it's just like, all right, if you come inside, it's an issue. Um, I think there was a play where I think it was Brogdon, you know, tried to run around him and, you know, drive to the basket. And he was able to just stick with him enough and, and block his shot. So I think he, it was more of an issue of conditioning. Um, so it was a positive that he came back because, you know, he hasn't played in 13 games, 13 days. And yeah, you kind of got it. I mean, you got to get your legs under you. And obviously, for most of those days, he probably wasn't doing anything but treatment. So um, this is his first first game back. He has to find some rhythm, get in, in good conditioning. I think he'll be fine. Yeah, I don't know how to feel about it. I thought that like it was quite obvious that his interior defense completely changes the game. Yeah. Right. So the thing that we saw in the first game with a lot of backdoor cuts, a lot of transition baskets and a lot of the Celtics putting pressure on the rim and putting pressure on Paul Reed and there, that there'd be no back line of defense for the Sixers really came to, you know, I, I felt like the Sixers kind of like corrected that in the second game and beat had five blocks in just 26 minutes or 27 minutes of playing. So obviously, like he brings in a tremendous amount. That's why he's the MVP, because he's just not like an empty offensive stats guy. He yeah. plays on both ends of the court. Uh, on the other hand, I thought that he brought like a kind of lethargy that infected the team over the course of the game, you know, mm -hmm. and he does some stuff with the ball now where he likes to hold it. He likes to look around. If the double's not coming, you know, he's still going to stand there with the ball for a while. Yeah. And we got a couple of classic Embiid flops, you know? Now, it might have been because he was wearing the knee brace and he was uncomfortable, or it might have been because he was trying to slow down what was a pretty ferocious Celtics offense and he was trying to gum it up and get a lot of like little, you know, professional fouls is what they call it in soccer. So when you feel something, you go down no matter what. But, you know, Grant Williams essentially getting a little bit of body into him and Embiid hits the deck. Uh, I don't that know. That was the funniest just, flop of the season. I, I like. Come on, man. Like, you're like 300 pounds, and if Grant Williams barely touches you... Grant Williams is 6'3". Yeah, like, and you he, like, touched him. Like, I don't even want the... Like, even as a Sixers fan, I don't even want officials to, like, reward that. And I think that's what has... Like, it has to come down from the league to where they say, you know what, we're not going to reward that for him not to do that. Yeah, and I think that... I just noticed that because Embiid takes up so much... It's not even like Steph where it's gravity and everybody's got to pay attention to Steph and that opens up the floor for somebody. Embiid just like kind of saps the attention sometimes. And so what happens is, is that as soon as dudes get the ball back, if they do, and there were several, several, several Sixers possessions where I was like, this is a one pass possession, huh? We're going to yeah. pass the ball to Embiid or pass the ball to Harden, clear out, watch these guys cook and hope that they get fouled. That's the offense. But when Toby or Melton or Maxi did get the ball, it was like, I got to take this shot. 
because otherwise I'm not getting the ball back for another five minutes. You know what I mean? And I was, yeah, I, I definitely thought it was hard for the rest of the Sixers to stay in rhythm. And now, it seems like really ridiculous to be complaining about the MVP coming back in a series that we were up one, nothing where we took a game from Boston and have essentially like swung the home court advantage of the series. But I, everybody was talking about it after the game. This is the number one thing Barkley was talking about on TNT after the game was just like, I don't know if he should have played. That team is different. Harden is different. Do you think that Embiid had an impact on Harden? Because Harden had basically his best game in three years on Monday and then went two for 15 and kind of looked like shit on, on Wednesday. Well, I mean, I do. I want to give credit to the Celtics for some of the things that they did. I, I think, you know, when you have Robert, they have Robert Williams play more. I mean, he played 29 minutes in, you know, this game. Um, well, actually, I think, yeah, he, he he only played 20. He played 22 minutes in this game. And I think one of the things that I saw them do is that they had him play more at the level. So, like, instead of just, you know, allowing, you know, the bigs to drop back, Robert Williams stepped up on some of those those shots, you know. Stepped, on some stepped, of Harden's shots, yeah. Yeah, on some of his jumpers. The floater wasn't as easy for him to get to. So I, I want to give the Celtics credit there. But I do think there's a rhythm-based thing to, you know, an NBA player's game. And when you have MB soaking up a ton of possessions, and like you said, when he gets a, like, it was pretty much, I'm going to flop for a foul or, you know, get a foul. Or it, it's just, he just soaks up a lot of possessions because he's not, a, he's not the playmaker like a Jokic is. So I think, I'm glad that MB played, but I do wish that he took a, you know, kind of a step back in the offense and let the offense kind of run through some of the other guys in his first day back. Yeah, I mean, look, so if this exact same score happens without Embiid, I'm fine. I'm like, okay, see you guys in Philly. And maybe Embiid comes back for uh, Friday night's game. You know what I mean? And that's like a nice long break for him. It's not four to six weeks, but it's a nice long break. I do, I do feel like, though, there were like extracurricular pressures or him putting pressure on himself. Like the idea of MB playing winning MVP and not playing in the playoffs is kind of hard to un, like hard to fathom. And so if he could play and if it was like, okay, you're not going to blow your knee out by playing, then it was kind of like a fait accompli that he's going to go out there and do it right. Like, whether or not that's the best version of the Sixers is a hobbled Embiid against the Celtics. I don't know. Like, I, we're not going to, you know, it's like, it, it, I thought the conversation last night in TOT was really interesting. The version of the Sixers that we saw on Monday without Embiid was actually like an incredibly vibrant offense that, you know, was obviously like powered by like a bunch of guys making a bunch of shots, namely Harden. But the version of the Sixers that plays when Embiid is out there is definitely just like standing around watching Embiid. Yeah, and that's exactly what it is. And, and, you know, it could be a little bit frustrating at times when MB doesn't have it going. And I think we just saw the worst version of MB last night. I think all of MB's detractors who, you know, didn't want him to win MVP, they had their case last night. And, you know, I think that was that it was hurtful to see just as a Sixers fan, as an MB fan, because I, I just think there was a world in which they could have worked them in slowly. Um, there was, there's a world where the Celtics can't defend that James Harden five out offense. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. 
Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Let's talk a little bit about that because Missoula mentioned after the game he was a little bit spiky at his post-game press conference. I think he may have uh, heard some Ringer podcasts over the last couple of days. But Missoula was like, we have an Embiid minutes game plan and we have a non-Embiid minutes game, game plan. And now I'm deducing from that that he's basically saying like when, when Joel is in there, we rain threes. And that's what they did last night. Yeah. And last night they shot, I think, 50 of them. And yeah, they shot they them 20 at 20 or 51. Yeah, so they shoot 39% when you... I mean, if you take 53s and you shoot 20, uh, 39%, you're going to win the game. Unless yeah. you're playing against like a team, the team doing like the exact same thing as you. Um, we can't keep up with that. And we can't keep up with getting doubled up in the third quarter. That was almost like third quarter Warriors style boss basketball with like Brogdon, Jalen Brown, and Derek White just lighting us up from the three-point line. It was over then. And then he has a Embiid minutes game plan. So that's the Embiid minutes game plan is obviously to shoot a lot of threes. When Embiid's not on there, I think they try to put a lot more pressure on the on the rim and get to the hoop. Does it make you nervous or, or uh, I don't know, like nervous for the rest of the series that they were able to do what they did last night, score 121 points, and they basically got nothing from J- Jason Tatum? I mean, we've seen that all throughout the course of the year. Um you know, if there was one thing that I felt like was encouraging coming into this series is that I felt like we could shut down just Jason Tatum. I mean, we saw Tatum in games this year, other than the opening night game where he put up 35. I think he had games of. He had games of like 16, 12, like he wasn't he hasn't been great in those games this year. Like, I think he had a game. Yeah, he had a game of 12, 18 and 19. Who do we, who do we <laughs> usually put on it? Was it T- Tobias or? Or Tucker, like I didn't I think even know this last night. Either Tucker or Tobias. So I think the one thing that we've seen from the Celtics team all year long is they're a balanced team and they can withstand Tatum not playing well. I think the problem last night for us was the offense. The offense just didn't show up. I mean, when you look at the first game of first game of the series, James Harden and Tyrese Maxey has seventy one points on twenty seven of fifty four shooting in game one. In game two, they had twenty five on eight of twenty eight shooting. Yeah. And then 
when and you most add, of it was most of that was maxi. <laughs> yeah, when you add in the fact that, and here's the here's the here's the issue, when you have James Harden and, and Joel Embiid both on the floor, it just feels like the turnovers rack up. And I know you know Harden didn't have any turnovers last night, but you know Embiid had three turnovers, and we as a team we had eleven turnovers. In our first game, we had six turnovers. So to me. We can't turn the ball over and we have to score the ball. It's and pretty academic. Yeah. You, you yeah, start so, getting into that, like whatever, there, there was that Steve Kerr thing about like I, at the end of the game, I look at these five stats in the box score and it's essentially like assists, turnovers, re- offensive rebounds. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. it's like, and if we win that, those, those categories, we usually win the game. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I, I just think that's big for us. I think our offense is going to be our best defense. Especially against the Celtics team. I mean, the Celtics team, they kind of have like this Jekyll and Hyde thing. Um, Shouts to Brian Barrett. He does the Celtics podcast. But it's just like the Celtics have posted a defensive rating, you know, less than 106 three times in this postseason. And they've also put up a defensive rating higher than 122 four times this postseason. So either their defense is really good or really bad. And yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, we just gotta we gotta win four games. We don't have to do it like seven straight times. I think the Sixers offense is capable of putting up decent performances three more times. I really do. It does feel like a long series. It yeah. does feel like we're gonna have and and whenever you see kind of like these, I mean, you could say that the Sixers quote unquote stole game one, but that's the nature of 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 being on on the other team's floor in the playoffs. Is like you may have to do a smash and grab. And then the Celtics come back and correct course and, and rain threes. And it, it's a make or miss team. And, and they sure made them last night. And we were um, six of, we were six of 30 from three. So yeah. I don't think we're going to go six of 30 from three every game. I don't think they're going to go 20 of 51 from three. every. So it's, it's just, it's truly a make or miss league. Yeah. So do you feel weird having this conversation at all when it comes to Joel and you know, he, he wins the MVP. Do you think it's weird that we're like, are we sure Joel should be playing? But more like, are we sure we like the way this team looks when Joel is out there? I don't think it's weird. Um, and I, I think part of it is that we have another MVP in James Harden. <laughs> and I think, you know, we saw at various points of this year how much Harden has meant to this team. Like when you look at towards the end of the season, I think right after James Harden got injured, there was that weekend road trip. West Coast road trip where we played Phoenix and we played Golden State. And we also played Denver. And MB didn't play the Denver game. But we lost all three of those games. Harton didn't play any of them. And I think Harton's presence, as I've been saying all year, I feel like Embiid is our best player, but James Harton is our most important player because he's the only one who can really create plays for others. But then as a perimeter player, he's going to be able to score the ball. And they could deny and be to a certain extent. So to me, James Hart is going to be the key to our success. You know, I wanted to ask you about, about Harden's relationship to this team because one of the things that was really nice was in the MVP kind of aftermath mm-hmm. was how clearly close those two guys are. Mm-hmm. You know, Harden gives him a Rolex. Joel is just like, I couldn't have done this without him. He's, he's, you know, he basically like wanted me to get this and willed this to happen. But there were some other quotes that I thought were interesting coming out of the first game where Harden was kind of like, I, this is what I do. 
And mm-hmm. I'm in a, you know, I, I, he scored 45 points and everybody's just like, James, James, how'd you do it? And he's like, I do this. The reason why I didn't do this this year is because I've been in a role of a facilitator. And you could make the argument that ever since he talked his way out of Houston, got traded to Brooklyn, he goes to Brooklyn and he's like, all right, this is like Katie and Kyrie's team. I'm going to be the connector. This is going to be like Thunder Harden. I'm the guy who's going to make everything tick over. Then obviously that implodes. And when he comes down to Philly, he's like, all right, it's Joel's team. I just got here in the middle of the season. I'm here to help Joel and and make make this team tick over and be this extra piece here. But like he still clearly sees himself as a franchise centerpiece, you know? Yeah. And I don't think we can discount that. Like the Houston stuff is the Houston stuff in terms of whether or not he's going to leave. But it was really interesting to me coming off of that basically like best best post Houston performance of his career last on Monday night. And his main point was kind of like, I like having <laughs> my own team and I like it. I like playing Harden ball. It's me and four out outside of me. And we kind of like spread the floor and I go do work. And I was curious whether or not you thought, despite all the like the sweetness and love that was coming out of the MVP thing, whether these two games kind of indicate the choice that Harden's going to have to make if he wants to resign with the Sixers, or if the Sixers want to resign him. See, I think a big part of that is what what happens this year because I do believe that James Harden wants a championship. And I, I, tr- I truly believe that. And I believe oh, me too. that me too. the move from Houston to Brooklyn was a big part of that. And, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving went down, when James Harden was in Houston, James Harden was playing like an MVP candidate. Oh, like yeah. That, yeah. I mean, like he had some monster games. I mean, like, I think it was the month of uh, it might have been like January, February 2021 before he he nicked up his hamstring. He was putting up the performances that we saw in game one. Um, so I, I think he, he always believed that he was capable of doing this. Um, it's just a matter of the lifestyle choice. I mean, like, I always compare. I, I look at James Harden like our generation's version of Will. <laughs> like, he just wants to just, you know, party and, you know, and, and, and hang out with chicks. But he puts up these video games numbers. And, you know, Wilt was kind of seen as a loser until he won. And I think Harton is in that same position. Can he win and get it done when it matters? And I think he's making a lifestyle. Is, is, is it a lifestyle choice of, hey, I can go to Houston. I can party. I got my restaurant. I'm, I'm big in the community versus I can sacrifice my game. And this to- is Embiid's town. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in a town where, I mean, I love Philadelphia, but. It's not really that fun to be a rich guy here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a working class town, you know. Yeah. I mean, like, and there's, I, I think, I see what your your point is. Um, I know it's something to track over the course of the next couple of games because the next couple of games could be the last couple of games that we have with this this duo together. Uh, one of the things I wanted to, we usually do when we're talking post game, and we didn't go last night because I think we were all too depressed and it was too late. But, <laughs> yeah. um. There really isn't a ton to take from the other performances. Like Maxi had flashes, he comes down with 13 points. I thought Tobias had another really dependable game where he scores 16 and grabs seven boards in 33 minutes, seven for 12 from the floor. That was nice. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure what's going on with the um the bench wing minutes with mm-hmm. McDaniel's and Niang. 
And I don't know. How are you feeling about when you see George Niang out there in the Eastern Conference semifinals? I'm going to be honest with you. I expect him to get more minutes going forward. I expect Why? him to play more than, than Niang. Just because... Oh, you, you expect McDaniels to play more than Niang? Is that what you're no, saying? No, I expect Niang to play more than McDaniels. Oh, interesting. Just because I just don't think McDaniels is going to be able to score enough. And I think the Sixers are going to have to fight fire with fire. So you and think I, these are going to be shootouts? Yeah, I do. I, I'm going to be I mean, like, you look at game one. I mean, you want to talk about... Um, you mentioned how they have multiple game plans. In game one... The, the Celtics got 66 points in the paint. <laughs> and in game two, that dropped to 36. And B's yeah. going to be able to clean up. I mean, he cleaned up a lot at the rim. But if Embiid is in there, they're going to be taking a ton of threes. And you got to be able to match that output. They shot 51 threes last night. Jaylen yeah, McDaniels yeah. is not going to help us do that. There were a couple of times where um, when the game was still relatively competitive. I mean, they were basically down five to eight points for most of the game. It got to doubles a couple of times, and then once it got to the third quarter, it just got completely out of control. Mm -hmm. There was a couple of times where Embiid would pass out of the post or the ball would move around the, the arc, and the, the, the basically the kick-out pass would go to PJ, and PJ yeah. in the corner. And you're just like, you know, I know PJ Tucker's three-point shooting, and honestly, like PJ Tucker is just like the last dude I'm going to ever criticize as a Sixer. It's just like what he brings to the team, and, mm -hmm. and everything that he does is just incredible. But that's the, that is the, the Aaron Gordon spot, right? Like that is the, the dude who can actually stroke it. And, and that's, if you're going to play that kind of offense, having it be PJ Tucker is essentially like passing it to somebody knowing that they need to pass it to. And, and yeah, we want him to shoot, but that thing is going to go in like 29% of the time, right? Yeah. So maybe you're right. Maybe Niang, I don't know whether he plays in, in, instead of Tucker, Mm -hmm. But there was all sorts of like, are we sure PJ can close games and stuff like that conversation going into the, the playoffs? I mean, I think, I mean, obviously PJ is going to have to be out there just because they have so many wings. And so then what, who, who sits for Niang or are you just talking about in bench minutes? Oh yeah. In bench minutes. Okay. Definitely in bench minutes. But I mean, I, I, I expect to see Niang more than McDaniels to be honest with you, just because I just think that second unit, you, you just, we just going to have to score. I think offense was our biggest problem last night. Like, I don't, I mean, I think we, we're just going to have to win with our offense. It's, it's, it's like, in game, like, even in game one, the Celtics were on fire offense, but yeah. our offense was good enough to keep up with them. And I think that's how we won that game. Um, let's talk about Paul Reed briefly, mm -hmm. because even though he only had, I think, six points. Yeah. He, he has this behind the back pass <laughs> that, that obviously, that was last night, right? Was that last night? I think that was. <laughs> yeah, no, it was last night, I think, that he had the behind-the-back pass to Tobias Harris because that was the one moment where I was like, damn, are we going to win? <laughs> and uh, Paul Reed has really made himself some money in, in these last two games, if you ask me. And I think that uh, I would never say that I'd rather have Paul Reed out there than Joel Embiid, but it does really show how important a backup five is. Yeah, and we've never had one. In like this entire NB era, I mean, like I know we had Drummond for a while, but you know, I, I go back to that 2019 series where it felt like we lost the series on nine NB minutes. <laughs> yeah, and I think this is the one year where we could say, you know what, M maybe we can perform with NB off the floor, and this yeah. is rare to say that. So I think it's almost encouraging. 
that we're having this conversation that are we better without Embiid? Because we can never say that before. Well, I would have been curious to see if this had been a closer game, like if this had been a 10 or 12 point Celtics win, Mm -hmm. but it had been relatively close. What Embiid looked like down the stretch. Because one thing you're seeing, obviously, in this second round is like these stars are playing 40, 41 minutes, 42 minutes, 44 minutes. You know, mm-hmm. KD and Booker and Steph and uh, Jokic, these guys, Butler went before he got hurt. Like, dudes are playing big, big minutes. And I don't know if Embiid can do it. I don't know if we can expect Embiid to play. Um, to play that 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 kind of that kind of chunk of time when he's coming off this injury, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, in the short term, I I don't think that's possible at all. Um, and I think you know the one thing I, we've seen from the Celtics Sixers games all year, it felt like MB was scoring a lot in the first half of these games, and then in the second half, you've seen him kind of wear down. Yeah. So I think they're gonna have to like really manage his minutes. I think the one coach I see doing a really good job at managing the minutes of his star is Steve Kerr with Steph Curry. Right. And, right. you know, they but absolutely need his minutes. <laughs> and he's also got Steve Kerr's like been doing this for, for 10 years now. And like, he knows how to run Steph and like, he knows when to get the timeouts to that clip of him in game seven, where he's like, I'm going to call timeout just to get you rest. Okay. Like he knows what he's doing when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. So I, I feel like Embiid is going to have to max out at about, you know, 37, 38 minutes. Um, I, I don't think you can push him too hard, especially with this injury that should have been four to six weeks. I think they're going to have to, you know, really, really manage his minutes well and, you know, make sure his rotations come at, at key points and times. You want to talk at all about the Celtics? Um, I want to talk about our effort level last night. I, I think, you know, last night it felt like like. To me, when I was going into that game, I felt like there was no way we were going to win this game. And, you know, obviously the Celtics did, did what they did offensively. Um, they made some adjustments defensively and, you know, Embiid was rusty. But I just think there were times where, like, you know, Maxi was kind of just just wasn't there to get a rebound. Or they got some, you know, the Celtics got some key offensive rebounds. And we just, I mean, our effort level just wasn't there. They dominated us on, on, on the rebounds. It's just so it's just I expect a lot of that to change in game three. I, I think we're going to have a much better performance, um, like effort wise, shooting wise. Um, but Celtics, I mean, do you have any thoughts on the Celtics? Uh, I was thinking about whether or not like I would like cheering for this team. Like I was I was kind of watching them and I was like, what would it feel like to be a Celtics fan with this team? Because. You know, obviously, this is now two years of pretty elite basketball from them. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't love the high volume three pointer attempts like teams. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and it, they, they, they are capable of having some good offense. In fact, it seems to be they have a similar issue with us mm-hmm. where it's like when Brown, especially when Tatum's sitting and even when Brown's out there, but when both of those guys are out, like, I thought they're, they looked best when it was like Brogdon, White, smart you know what i mean and it's like the young it's like the guards just like whipping the ball around the arc until they get the open three brogdon was unconscious last night but that whole like basically like dribble the ball up the court pass it to one guy that one guy does like three moves and takes a, a three mm-hmm. it's kind of like i don't know it's it's a pretty grating play style to me um Jalen's pretty good though man um i thought he did really nice on harden and 
his handle would drive me crazy as a fan, but he is pretty, pretty amazing basketball player. I'm going to be honest with you. I think the one person I have trouble like really rooting for is Jason Tatum. You, you would have, you, you would have trouble rooting for him. Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, I, like Tatum can be, he's, his game is just so frustrating for me. Um, because I feel like he has all the tools in the world as just, you know, this big wing, but he's not explosive. And you see he, because he's not explosive, he pushes off a lot. Um, and he settles for his jumper a lot. And a lot of times he's taking, you know, step back jumpers or fadeaway jumpers. Um, and that's frustrating for me. Um, he has this Kobe Bryant like shot selection, but he's not Kobe. Yeah. Um, He's almost like, I don't want to call him a poor man's Paul George, but I feel like Paul George was a little bit, and he's probably better than Paul George, but to me, he's a little bit less explosive than a younger Paul George. Like, he's just, he has a very similar game to him. Um, and I, I just, like, at times I watch him and Jalen Brown, and I feel like I like Jalen Brown a lot better. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to see the two of them. I mean, like, it was kind of an interesting contrast in teams at various points in their sort of arc of, uh, of their development and like the Celtics obviously have built out of a pretty nice deep roster around those two guys mm. and Jalen's coming up on the eligibility for I can't you can get like supermax I can't remember what he can get but you know there's like chit chat about like whether or not Jalen would be somebody who would go to Houston with Udoka or something like that and you know I mean that's a team that's gone to the finals and gone pretty deep in the finals I think they, they can be pretty happy mm-hmm. with who they have yeah. but at the same time it's like do those two wings work together in the best possible way i mean does jalen have to take a back seat to tatum and tatum's sort of anointment of being you know he's he's this next kind of like star wing in the nba yeah um see i don't know if he has to take back seat because it, it just feels like um like even i mean it just feels like this has just always been a deep roster I guess we should talk more about Embiid winning the MVP. Yeah, like we we should definitely talk about. I mean, just a dominant season. I mean, it's well deserved. I'm just I'm happy that he broke through. You know, I think it's, it's really like, it's real. I'm I'm honestly like I'm happy it's over with for for everybody's sake. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's good for the league. It's good for Embiid. It's good for Philly fans psychologically. It's good for the team to show that you can win MVP by playing for the Philadelphia 76ers that mm-hmm. we're on TV enough. People care about this team enough. People want to talk about this team. Um, I, I, I wonder what the emotional oomph of, of Friday night is going to be when, when he's kind of like introduced as the MVP of the league to the Philly crowd. Do you think that that's going to be a boost or do you think it's going to be like, man, we peaked too early in the evening? No, that's, that's going to be a boost. That's, that's going to be a boost. I mean, like we all know Philadelphia I mean, they're going to be tormenting these Celtics. And I just think the Sixers are going to have a, a prime effort, like a, an absolute prime effort. And look at the, look at the two games we played the Celtics in um, at home. I mean, that first game, we absolutely dominated them in the first half. All the way up into the third quarter until we started turning the ball over heavy. Yeah. We're underdogs for that game. I'm not sure we should be underdogs. Do you think that... Um that the postseason is going to provide a kind of like epilogue or postscript to this MVP campaign. 
So my point being, if Jokic dismantles the Suns in five games and Embiid loses to the Celtics in six games, do you think a lot of people out there are going to be regretting their votes? I think a lot of people regret their votes already. Because of what I'm suggesting? I mean, not because of what you suggested, but because how MP has performed in the postseason. Yeah. I mean, you look at that first series against the Nets, he didn't really play well. Um, and, you know, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of Sixers fans who will disagree with me, but to me, he didn't play well at all. Um, you look at the fact that he had 15 turnovers and 12 assists. And I know that they were doubling him and tripling him, but when you compare him to the other MVP candidate in Nikola Jokic, I think if they had played Jokic that same, in that same manner, you know, Jokic would have carved him up. And we yeah. all know that's not Embiid's strength. I think Embiid is a pure scorer. He's a dominant scorer. But at the same time, it's just, I don't think we got the best. That we, I don't think we've gotten the best from Embiid in this postseason. And then obviously he got hurt. So I think you have some people who say, look, I probably voted for the wrong guy. But at the end of the day, you know, Bill's told me, I asked Bill this, do you regret your vote? He said, it's a regular season award. It is. Embiid dominated the regular season. And, you know, when I look at what Embiid has done this year, when James Harden missed a month, when Tyrese Maxey missed a month, he held down the fort. You know, he had the 60-point game against the Cavs. He put up, you know, 50 on Jokic. Like, those moments happen. And then, you know, that he was a part of some big moments this year. And I think it's only right that you look at the last three years, and he probably would have won the MVP award two years ago had he not, you know, suffered that fall against the Washington Wizards. It's only right that he comes out of, you know, this stretch with at least one MVP. I agree with you, man. I mean, it's incredibly I, I I'm I'm so excited for him. I don't want to make it sound like I'm concerned trolling him too much. Uh mm-hmm. I think that it just is what it is. It would have been really sad if he had been like, I hurt my knee against Brooklyn and I'm out for the playoffs. You, you know what I mean? Like it really, really would have been disappointing. I don't understand how you can have a four to six week injury and be back in the time that he's back, but I'm not a doctor. So yeah. <laughs> I, guess, I mean, I guess we it, saw it. I mean, you know what though? We saw it with, I mean, it's kind of very reminiscent of, you know, Steph Curry. Um, when he had that, um, I think he had an MCL spring. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he came back, you know, within, you know, two weeks. Um, it's the playoffs. I mean, guys are competing for a championship and they're willing to do whatever they have to do to compete. Um, so, I mean, I think you got to you gotta salute Joel Embiid. He's a warrior um, and he wants to win. We'll wrap it up there, man. Thanks to Cliff Augustine for producing us. Uh, game three on Friday night. I don't think we're going to have a post-game show, so we'll probably be with you next week. Uh, until then, hope everybody enjoys the weekend. Go Sixers. And we'll talk to you soon. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, 
file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.